Adding wholesale as a channel to your store is a great way to increase revenue. But how do you offer customer-specific pricing in Shopify? Well, naturally, there's a bold app for that. It's called Customer Pricing. And it's great for wholesale, of course, but it's also cool to add things like a VIP program where you reward your best customers. So it's easy to use. To put a customer in a price group, you just tag their customer account. Or, if you want to get fancy, you can auto-tag customers into groups based off how much they've spent, how often they order, where they're from, or what products they purchased. So it's really powerful. For example, if they've spent $500 or more, you could tag them as silver, and they get 5% off. $1,000 or more, they get tagged gold, they get 10% off. You could even do it by how many times they've ordered and even what country they're from. With the tagging by product purchase feature, you could actually sell a membership product and then give them a member discount. So if you're a Costco member, this should sound familiar, because it's exactly what they do. To try it out free for two months, head to ethercycle.com bold. That's ethercycle.com bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. Hello and welcome to the unofficial Shopify podcast. Joining me in studio today is a, a wonderful gentleman, a friend, a previous guest from many years ago and a longtime Shopify merchant, Jake Starr from Recycled Firefighter. Jake, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. What's up, man? But, you know, hanging out, doing doing work. Uh, what uh, what brings you from Louisville to Chicago? So I flew in this morning to visit um, a 3PL called Ship Bob. And I'm just kind of hanging out, eating some lunch, enjoying the uh, nice gray Chicago skies. You know, I'm sure there are plenty of people who, as as you grow, probably like the first thing you outsource. One of the first things is is shipping and fulfillment. And so you had a 3PL. You're considering changing 3PLs. Let's, all right, it, I'm giving them a free plug, but tell me about your ship bob experience. Yeah, it went well. Um, so our current 3PL in Louisville is kind of, Probably 10 years or so kind of behind the times, um, not really technology driven. And this ship, Bob, one of the guys reached out uh, a couple months ago and kind of gave me his, um, you know, sales pitch. And it has a really good kind of back end dashboard that you can do a lot of returns and stuff from. And their um, <clears throat> their price per order um, is kind of all built in with customer service and everything like a, just one price. So you're not nickel and dimed 
um, for everything, which is kind of nice because right now we're paying um, an in-house customer service rep $38 an hour um, for just our 3PL, which ends up being somewhere between two and three thousand dollars a month which is just like kind of kind of high. Oh, so you have like a CSR who's just do, inputting orders um, so she handles all the returns and um, like misships and like okay. receiving and stuff like that so it's it's everything um, but the 38 dollars an hour you know for the whole month I was like wow that's a little high yeah, yeah. no I can imagine it adds up so uh, your business is recycled firefighter when did you start that um so I kind of I think I I bought the URL around 2013, but it didn't really take off till probably 2015-ish, early 2015. Yeah. What is Recycled Firefighter? Where are you finding firefighters to recycle? Yeah, it's kind of hard. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question, man. So it's not actual recycled firefighters, but fire hose. Okay. Um, so we get hose from different... Um, so say different we're in Chicago codes. right now. Yeah, Chicago... Um, See, the, the fire department had a bunch of hose that failed, so you test it every year um, so that it doesn't explode like while you're in the fire because, like, you pressurize it up to, like, 150 or 190 PSI. Right, these are um, all mission-critical items. Yeah, and you don't want them exploding. So you test them every year, and if um, they kind of stretch or if there's a hose, like a hole that's leaking, you put it out of service. And a lot of times... Um, Fire departments just uh, surplus this hose, and we get it and turn it into wallets. Yeah. Okay. So, where where did you get the idea from? How did this happen? Um. So back, I think it was 2013, some maybe 2014. Um. The firehouse that I was working at was throwing away a bunch of this hose. It was just in the dumpster out back behind the firehouse. So to be clear, you were a firefighter. I was a firefighter. Yeah, for ten years. Um. Sorry, I'm going to turn my phone off. If you can hear that. Um. Yeah, so I was at the firehouse, I was on shift, and I was taking the trash out at night, <clears throat> um, which is kind of the last thing you do before you go to bed, and um, and there was like one or two rolls of fire hose back there, and um, and I asked the chief the next day um, when I got up, I said, can I have this piece of fire hose, and I just took it home and started, the first thing I made was like an iPad case, Okay. Um, and I sold it on Etsy for like 20 bucks. Hmm. And it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. I was surprised. It, I didn't sew it. I like riveted riveted it together, and um, I sold it to some <laughs> some poor person in Ireland. I don't even know, man. But um, I was pumped to you know sell something online, and it can just kind of took off from there, man. How the idea? So you're a firefighter. You're staring at this this decommissioned fire hose that's on its way out. Yeah. And you think, ah. Oh, I bet I could turn that into an entirely unrelated thing that I could sell on the internet. Like what? Yeah, it's nuts, man. Where do you go? For, how did that happen? Dude, I mean, the, did it really just pop into your head like that? The best way I describe it, like, <clears throat> so most firefighters are pretty industrial. Like when you say somebody gets in a car wreck and um, it's 2 a.m., it's cold outside, it's snowing, and you're on an engine company with four four guys. And so there's two cars, you know, everybody's bleeding you're trying to cut somebody out of the car you're you only have the tools that are with you so a lot of times you have to get stuff done with what you have so it's kind of the mentality um you just get stuff done with what you have you know kind of that industrial kind of um creative mind i think a lot of firefighters kind of fit that mold um, ingenuity ingenuity yeah exactly so i didn't take i don't know why i took it i wasn't like hey i'm gonna make a billion dollars out of this piece of fire hose um, and I didn't take it to like save the planet either. 
I think um, I think I took it. I, I took it to make some extra money. It was definitely like a side hustle kind of um, first move for me, you know, because I needed some extra money. We just had my wife and I just um, had our first kid, so I was kind of make you know making ends meet with the salary. So I kind of just needed some extra cash, you know. So you had that that drive and that need that kind of yeah. drove the entrepreneurial spirit. You said, mm-hmm. hey, I think there's something here. The thing you're... So originally you made an iPad case and it's riveted together and it did sell. Yeah. Uh, the thing you're best known for now, you've got a lot of really amazing products. I use uh, your duffel bag every single day. Oh, Actually, cool. you can see it. It's under yeah, that. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. yeah, it's sitting over there. Um, I love it. But the thing you're best known for are wallets. So how do you yeah. go from iPad to wallet? Oh, gosh. I think the journey from iPad to wallet kind of took some twists and turns. I made some bags, some belts, some messenger bags, backpacks, some stuff until I settled. I realized that um, the smaller the item, the easier to ship. And um, the smaller the item, the more that you can get out of one section of fire hose. Because like originally I only had a few hundred feet of fire hose. So I couldn't make like this big item out of all this hose because, you know, I just wanted to kind of maximize the amount of material, you know. Um, so I settled on a wallet, and that original wallet took probably six months or so, and maybe it's kind of, it's been so long, I don't exactly remember how many iterations, but probably close to 50 or 60 wallet designs until I settled on um, what we currently call the Sargent wallet, which is like a front pocket wallet. Um, that's our bestseller. So if I sat down today and said, all right, I've got this cool material, we'll say I've got I have acquired Kevlar, and I'm going to turn that into something cool. Wow, a wallet, that seems easy. There is no universe in which I could sew a usable wallet together out of any material. I bet you could. How? I could teach you. You, you are, like, you've got your sewing machine, that's your tool, and you are always, you're making, like, one-off prototypes and stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, I see it on Instagram. I'm always so impressed that you are just fabricating your own stuff whenever you feel like it. Did you start knowing how to sew or was this like, you're like, I I could figure this out. I did not know how to sew. Um, I bought a $99 plastic sewing machine from Walmart and it was terrible. And I started watching YouTube videos and (laughs) I made, um, I made parachute um, fabric backpacking hammocks for like the Appalachian Trail. It's like this lightweight hammock made out of parachute nylon. Um, And that's how I taught myself how to sew just because it's really long, straight stitching, it's super easy. Um, but yeah, man, it's just a lot of trial and error. It's it's with any like just with anything that you want to be a master at, you just got to put in the time. Not that I'm a master sewer by by any means, but I definitely have ten thousand hours in it by now. Um, and I think it just takes time. the The creative aspect of it, I don't know if you could grow that. A lot of the ideas and the prototypes and stuff come out of like a need in my own life, you know, like um, just a more comfortable wallet or a notebook wallet or a belt that works or a backpack that lays flat and is orange on the inside so you can see your gear. Like all of these kind of um, things that um, that I needed in my own life, it, it kind of came out of that. And those ideas normally just come in the shower. So I have a little waterproof paper um, notebook and a pencil that sticks to the shower. Um, and so the ideas, I think my wife got it for me. I think it's called like, don't let your ideas go down the drain or something like that, but it sits in the shower and all the good ideas just get written down on that little waterproof paper. 
Yeah. So I've, a lot of people have said, oh, I have my best ideas in the shower. I do my best thinking in the shower. For me, I do my best thinking uh, in the car driving. Yeah. Because, like, you can't be distracted by a screen. Yeah. I assume the same is probably true of the shower. It's interesting to, that you, like, very literally are like, the idea comes to the shower, and I note it and write it down in the shower. I also found it interesting the, in doing, I mean, we're coming up on, like, 300 episodes of this show. There is a very common entrepreneurial journey and story. And a hallmark of many of these Shopify merchant stories is, I had a painter problem in my own life. Can I solve that and do a better job than other people or do it in a different way? And you're no different. Mm. And you're doing it like serially, which yeah. is very cool. It wasn't just one product. It's over and over and over. Yeah. You have consistent, like a lot of people are able to create an initial winning product and then try to make other products. It's like trying to capture lightning in a bottle again. Yeah, Whereas I, you've been able to just repeat the success. I think that can be a double-edged sword though because like being the quote idea guy, there's always something else. Like I literally have like 50 products on the back burner right now that I can make and they're just sitting there and who knows, like, you know, 20% of those could be like big, you know, the, the 20, 20%, 20 80% rule um, I think would apply there. But those ideas take from, to a certain degree, the stuff that is already selling well, but being the idea guy, <clears throat> it's, it's always fun. There's always something new, something shiny and you're trying to get those ideas out, you know, like the creative aspect of it, like making the same thing over and over and over kind of hurts if you're a creative guy, like you want to do something new. So I think it's cool. It definitely, it's gotten to me, it's gotten me where I am now, but it also, it takes some of my focus away probably from some of my best sellers, which um, maybe I should focus more on those to try and scale those up, you know? How many products do you have? I don't know. Um, SKUs is probably in the three, two to 300, but products is probably 50-ish. Because I just went through your site. I think you have 68 products listed. Okay. Yeah. And not all of those. We sell some pens and notebooks and stuff. Yeah, there's not some accessory those. items in there. That yeah. So I'd say, yeah, probably 50, 50 or so unique products. And, uh, and I've discontinued a lot too. I bet there's probably closer to 100 that I've sold. That's crazy. The amount of products you're able to produce and turn out is exceptional. Um, so it, it, do you have someone else manufacturing these? Because like you're making the initial prototype. Yeah. Initially, I would imagine when you were making the initial walls, were you making all of them yourself? Yeah. So in the early days, we I found uh, um, you know some guys that would help me in the early days in those first, um, like maybe it was March or so of 2015. We had like a batch of 5,000 that um, I had worked with somebody with and they came back and they were absolutely terrible. Oh, I was no. like, oh my, this is a disaster. I was like, we have this big product launch and I had made like 2,000 myself over like the last, you know, six weeks or so. And those looked amazing. And then these other four or 5,000 were just awful. And I was like, oh my gosh. But since then we've... um Yeah, we've found some guys that have helped and that's really helped us scale Um skill production. I do a lot of limited runs and kind of unique stuff. So, um, so this last month I did a mystery box, um, and I did all of those like one off. Um, it's called the captain wallet. I did all of those myself and a bunch of other things. So, um, I do spend my time mostly prototyping and making stuff, which is still, it's still fun. It gets kind of old. I have to wear headphones while I sew because the machine is so loud. It's just like, 
teeth chattering, like, oh my gosh, I can't take this anymore. When you're sewing for like eight hours a day, it definitely, it kind of grates on your, cause it's so loud, you know, and right. it's like vibrating stuff. So, um, I'll put on headphones and put on a podcast and just kind of go to town and sew for, you know, six or eight hours at a time. Still. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Which one of the wallets, um, that's something that I really focused on, like streamlining and figuring out a product that you can make a lot per hour. Like we make this cash or I make this cash band wallet. It's like an elastic band that I did the math the other day. I can make them so fast. It's like $2,000. If we sold that many, it's like $2,000 an hour. <laughs> so I was like, I wish I could sell that many cash band wallets. I'll just work one day a week, you know, and just kind of do the other marketing and stuff the other four days and be done. But, you know, that product hasn't scaled up that well yet, so. Let's just say, you have um, some big products, like, uh, you've got backpacks and duffel bags, but it sounds like, and those are more expensive, like, it's $100 plus per bag, Um, and they're great, I've got one, but it sounds like your your love, both um, in making and for the business, is something, like, just these smaller, simpler, everyday Mm -hmm. products, like the, the wallet, and the wallets go for, like, 20 bucks. Yeah. So, is your... Is there, there's an advantage to these simpler, straightforward, lower AOV products? I think so. Yeah. The barrier to entry is a lot lower. Like for the backpacks, when it's a $150 backpack, first of all, it takes two hours to make 150 for me to make a $150 backpack. When in that same time, um, like the captain wallet, I can make 10 of those an hour. So, and those sell for $50 each. So that's $500 an hour, just if we're counting my time, trying to figure out the best place for me to, you know, be focusing my time. So you're often thinking in terms of uh, your effective (laughs) hourly rate. Not always, but I think that's part of it. Yeah. If I just focused on bags, it would be harder to scale up. Um, And that's why we have a team to make bags too. You know what I mean? Because it's just really hard to make that many bags with one person. Um, The same time, there's also the the cost of goods sold creates... You know, these inventory cash flow issues, the outlay for mm-hmm. 100 wallets yeah. is going to be a fraction of the outlay for yeah. 100 backpacks. Exactly. Yeah, it's up a lot of cash. For acquiring mm-hmm. a new customer, and I would imagine like your customer journey is I show up, I buy a wallet, and then I'm on Jake's email list, and mm-hmm. I like my wallet, and I like Jake, and oh, all right, well, check, he's got this new bag. Um, I think that's, the, that's probably a, a journey a lot of customers mm-hmm. follow, so having that lower price point on an entry-level product probably advantageous for like both customer experience the brand your cash flow etc yeah i think that's a strategy we're going to focus on this year um scaling up um the wallets and then trying to retarget people for the bags as a follow-up instead of trying to get cold traffic straight to the bags the backpacks well and um, if you think like even not knowing what the product is if you just go hey you're gonna, you're gonna make a first purchase you want to spend 20 bucks or 150 bucks exactly. uh <laughs> yeah yeah. Yep. 20 bucks is way better. Even $9 is even better. But yeah, I don't know. It's kind of tough. Like is somebody that buys a $9 wallet going to follow up and buy a $150 bag? I don't know. They're it's more likely than the cold traffic for mm-hmm. sure. But you're right. Yeah. I mean, that is, there's, there's a stretch there, yeah. but so, uh, drawing on an, an info product background, the wallet then is your tripwire product. This yep. separates the people who are never going to buy from the people who will buy. Cause they can only, they can spend 10 bucks and they have a product from you. The fact that they have made a purchase, it was delivered, now they have a relationship with you, it's now you can sell them on the next product. And maybe mm-hmm. it's only a little more. But then you turn around, hey, I've got this limited edition 
run of bags in this one colorway, and I only made 20, yep. you know, first come, first serve. Because mm -hmm. I've seen you do stuff like that, especially on Instagram, mm -hmm. um, where the really rabid fans are. So that would be, um, that would be called your product ladder. Yeah. So I think it's about figuring out your product ladder and that product journey. I think so, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, figuring that out, man, because I'm not a numbers guy. A lot, of time my, a lot of times my brain just like shuts off. It's like, oh man, I need to be better at numbers. So being the creative guy and trying to force myself to figure out all these numbers has definitely been like, as I um, kind of contemplate my business journey, it's been difficult, man. It's like, oh, I'm not great at the numbers, but I'm great at making stuff. You know what I mean? So let's focus on making stuff and less on the numbers and maybe it'll figure itself out. That's kind of where I'm at right now. You know See, what I mean? See, this is where or a, a business could benefit from a business partnership. So like if you had a guy who was more uh, focused on the numbers and yeah. then you could focus on pro creative, so the product mm -hmm. creation and the marketing, suddenly oh. life becomes much easier because you're not like banging your head against a wall with a thing that you don't enjoy. We went, we went through that journey last year. I hired a like a four hire COO sort okay. of thing, um, and uh, either my numbers that I gave him or the or the like, you know, the Google Sheets and algorithms that he had, the numbers just weren't adding up. And you know, we we're trying to scale, and we we ended up being like over inventoried, so we had a lot of our cash kind of tied up in too much inventory. Um, so, and that was the thought, like, okay, I'm just going to give this guy all of the numbers. And I realized, even though I'm not super amazing at numbers, I know nobody knows the business better than I do. And there's some value in that. You know what I mean? That um, a guy like that can be super good at numbers, but not know exactly how the business works, you know? So that was kind of a, a hard pill to swallow that we got probably six months in until before I figured out that the cash crunch that that brought in was kind of bad. It was supposed to free up some cash, but it kind of went the other way. But I see, I see what you're saying. I think it can be super beneficial. I, I probably could have done a better job at explaining the numbers better. You know, it was definitely my fault, like as the business owner and president or whatever it says on my taxes, I don't know of the business. It was my fault, but that was, um, yeah, that was a good lesson. The pain or struggle is tied up in inventory forecasting. I think so, yeah, because if you get over-inventoried on a bag that's made in the U.S., that costs a lot of money. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's really easy to just have all your cash tied up in inventory. Like, um, you know, even two or three or four months extra inventory, that's a lot of capital as you're trying to grow and use that right. you know, for advertising. Yeah. No, absolutely. So switching gears, I want to talk about marketing and promotion. How did you get the initial idea out in the world? Because you were just some firefighter, some working firefighter who happened to sell some stuff on Etsy. How do you go to now? It's like, Jake, the recycled firefighter who sold, how many thousands of vaults have you sold? I don't even know. I haven't even looked. Yeah. Tens of thousands, I think, of what is what I would say. I don't know if... There's a line we use on the website, on the wallet landing page. Uh, it's like 30,000 feet of hose at this point that we've saved from the landfill. Is that what it says? Oh, we just said literally thousands. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you have thousands of people are walking around with your wallet. My garage is full of fire hose, so like it may be more than thirty thousand feet of hose. I don't even know, man. It's a bunch. So how did I go? Um, your question was how did I get kind of my name out there, like yeah. originally? Um, yeah. How did the original 
the original thing take off? Go from like, eh, I sold a thing on Etsy to yeah. thousands of wallets later. Um, a lot of that early success came off Instagram back when it was free, man. Um, just growing through the, um, it's called the everyday carry kind of community. So yeah, the EDC, everyday yeah, carry. EDC. Yeah. Um, they're super passionate, man. And that kind of community was just really taken off on Instagram. It makes for really good photos. So like that top down view, you take all the stuff out of your pockets, like a pocket knife, wallet, flashlight, just all the stuff that like MacGyver would carry, you know, right. and you throw it on like a rustic wood table, you hold your phone over it, you take a picture and you edit it from an app called Snapseed. Oh, I love Snapseed. Yeah, Snapseed is, is the bomb. And you post it on Instagram and it gets a bazillion likes. And that's like kind of what everybody does. And this you know? type of photo is called a pocket dump. Pocket dump. There's a hand dump where you're hand holding all your stuff too. Yeah, um, you're yeah. following you on Instagram is what introduced me yeah. to Everyday Carry and to the, the pocket dump concept. And it's huge. So it's like huge. if you in fashion you imagine a flat lay photo, yeah. it's that, but much smaller, mm -hmm. right? Instead of like clothes on a table, yeah. it's literally the stuff in your pocket in your palm. Or exactly. yeah, like or a rustic background has yeah. to be like kind of the thing. So you can get as crazy as you want with it. Like some guys put their boots out there or a backpack. Um, you know, like pretty much everything that's on you. Um yeah, you can get pretty crazy with it too. I, I had a business idea a few years ago where it would be like a <clears throat> like basically a sixteen inch by sixteen inch poster, like a piece of paper that's printed like rustic wood or like rustic metal. Cause if you put that paper down and put your gear on top of it, nobody knows that it's not an actual rustic wood. I saw table. an Instagram ad yeah. for this concept. Really? They were okay. like two foot, two by two yeah. panels. Yeah. And you got like uh you would get like a set of them and they would, you'd get two of each so that you wouldn't, you would have the seamless background. It'd be yeah. super easy. You could ship it as posters. Um, you know, so if somebody's listening to this and they take off, steal this idea, that's totally fine. Um, just shoot me a commission check, you know, <laughs> but something like that, um, in that community, even though it's a small niche, you know, like I think it could do really well, but like I'll be out somewhere at a restaurant or something and see like a really cool flat, tabletop or something i'll be like hold on let me let me throw my wallet on here and take a picture <laughs> you know? my wife's like what are you doing uh, taking a picture an hold influencer on. i'm a, i'm at like some pancake restaurant in in um the smoky mountains a few years ago and i was like putting my phone and all my gear on the uh, on the railing it was like this rustic wood but it made like the best photo ever so it was totally worth it so i've always I've, you are how many times a day do you post right now it's one just because it, it's gotten overwhelming. I haven't missed a day in like five or six years, man. It's like, wow. oh my gosh. Yeah, it was so bad. I was doing, I was trying to post somewhere between three to five times a day. And about a year ago, I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. I did that for four years. Um, so this last year, I've just, I just do one. And then I focus on Instagram stories. So it, it may be actually five times a day, but one um, picture or video to my feed and then the rest on Instagram stories. Yeah. Okay. And that's been a, a big change in Instagram since you started was the addition of Instagram stories. Yeah, that's huge. Like linking that, you can link your post directly to like an IG video or just your product page, like that swipe up function swipe on up. IG stories. Yeah, it's huge. Which, do you still have to have 10,000 followers to get swipe up? I don't know. I guess I've never thought about it because we've had... <laughs> 
How many followers you got? I don't know, man. Of is this, you is this know. like a humble brag? Uh, I don't know. It's somewhere in the 90,000, somewhere. I stopped. I stopped realizing what the actual number is. 90 something. 94.1 thousand followers. 94.1. Sir, with uh, 7,700 posts. Yeah, that's. Yeah, people should check it out. a lot of work, man. At Recycled Firefighter. It is, uh, well, I guess if you're into everyday carry, it is a master class, but it's worth it to see like, okay, that's say if you're, there's a lot of fashion and apparel stores on Instagram. So it's like you already, you get the concept of what fashion apparel looks like on Instagram. Now, if you want to see like, the uh like the the masculine accessory version of that yeah. is this it's this everyday carry thing mm-hmm. but it's just funny that it's like it's really a lot of the same format we've just kind of we flipped it on its head a little bit yeah yeah a lot of the everyday carry posts got kind of stale so um that's why i post like a lot of videos and stuff on there now and not just like the straight down pocket dump kind of photos because you can only do that so many ways and buy so many right. knives and switch things up so many times before you're like, oh my gosh, if I post this one more time, I'm going to puke, you know? Now, um, do, you, do you do the thing where you tell yourself like, oh, well, you know, I got to create this content, so it's a business expense, so I got to get this, this new folding knife for myself? That's what I tell my wife. Yeah, I don't okay. know if I, tell, if I lie to myself and tell myself that, yeah, but that's what I tell her. So this whole thing was, was born out of being, having the, the advantage of being early on Instagram. I think so, yeah. Um, and yeah, just that, that hashtag everyday carrier EDC just really took off, man. Yeah. Just the second, second amendment kind of guys too. Um, the knives, guns. Yeah. There's gear. some overlap there. Tactical's yeah. in there. Tactical. Yeah. Backpacks and stuff. Yeah. It just, it all happened at the same time. Like I think all of, all of Instagram was growing, but within that community, it was just so, cause they make good photos, you know, like the gear photos, right? You can gain up your photos and they just look really good on Instagram. So kind of like food, you know, yes. looks really good on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, there's some things that lend themselves well to yeah. the gram. Uh, you mentioned hashtags. For a while, that was like the Instagram magic was, you know, post at least daily and throw 30 freaking hashtags on the thing. Do hashtags work anymore? Does that still matter? I don't know if they work, but I stopped using them. Um, maybe I just got lazy, but I would waste so much time trying to figure out what the best hashtag to use was. And I wasn't seeing a bunch of extra likes and followers followers off of that. Um, that's just my experience. And I think it just cheapens up your photos. You can add it in a comment now. So it, it's not okay. directly under your photo. Um, I just don't, I don't use a lot. If I use one, it's kind of like a joke, you know, like it's the, the punchline is the, yeah, the hashtag. Yeah, the hashtag. Sometimes I use like recycled firefighter hashtag just so you if you follow that you can find my stuff. But honestly, I'm if I use any, it's like two or three. There were no other uh, promotional channels or strategies here. Just writing, writing Instagram out. Um, so we use Instagram and giveaways to build an, an email list early on. Okay. I would post a photo and say, um, here's this custom backpack. Like I would make a custom backpack out of bunker gear, like the gear that firefighters use in a fire, like the kind of brown gear with like reflective trim on it, you know? Um, so I would hand make a bag and say, enter this giveaway, and we would run it through gleam.io on, um, uh, through Shopify, it's a Shopify app. Right, um, it's, so yeah, for, for doing giveaways. Through doing, yeah, give me giveaways. We would collect all those emails. We would put that pop-up link um, that email collect collection link directly in our Instagram bio. 
and just push people there and collect um, sometimes two to 5,000 emails or so. Whoa. Yeah, and give away one product. Um, and those were lower value emails, but still it helped us grow. Um, How know, often like, were you doing those giveaways? Probably a few times a year, um, maybe once every every three months, two or three months. It depends, yeah. Um, we would partner with some people too because um, I realized – if my Instagram gets shut down or if that channel stops growing, I need some emails. So we focused on giveaways um, early on. Yeah. Oh, so part of it was just a uh, a diversification strategy. You were trying to exactly. build that list because like Instagram, you don't necessarily own that channel. Like I wouldn't be super worried about um, your channel getting shut down on Instagram. Like you're not posting anything risque or weird, but it's always smart to do it and you know, owning the list, uh, that's, that's where a lot of the magic happens. Hold up. What do sophisticated direct-to-consumer brands like ColourPop, Huckberry, and Casemate all have in common? They rely on Klaviyo, the growth marketing platform chosen by the brands you love. With a dedicated team of experts and a platform that consumes more data than any other on the market, Klaviyo helps you own the customer experience and grow higher-value relationships. And the results speak for themselves. Brands have made more than $3.7 billion, that's billion with a B, in revenue through Klaviyo in the last year alone. From a shopper's first impression to each subsequent purchase, Klaviyo understands every interaction, empowering brands to create more personalized marketing moments. When you have a 360-degree view of the customer, growth possibilities are endless. Visit klaviyo.com unofficial. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash unofficial. Talk to him. So one of the things I love about your site is you have one of the best about pages. This thing is long. <laughs> it's got so much good stuff in here. It starts with my story. And it like it literally is your life story. Like it starts with you. It's got photos of you as a kid. Um, it's got a, a timeline of your life in here. And then it just like you got to get a third of the way down the page before, oh no, I see you talking about your first full-time job. This about page is phenomenal. What inspired you to do this? How did you put this thing together? Tell me everything about this about page, Jake Star. <laughs> I stole that from somebody, man, and I don't remember who It's yours. How do you credit. steal it? It's your story. Yeah, the format or the idea, maybe you gave me that tip. I don't know, man. Can I give you credit for it? I'll take I it. Okay, yeah, you told me to do that. Um, yeah, the long form kind of story. Um, I don't know. I don't, I didn't put too many like personal things in there, but I, I gave enough personal kind of stories to kind of get people interested in the brand, you know? Um, and the pictures on that page are like low res, like they're not high res. Like I probably need to update that, but a lot of the well, photos as, were so old. As the person who set up the, when we, you changed to turbo theme, I yeah. set up this about page okay. and yes, those photos our low res, yeah. you need to get me higher res photos. Following up on an email from over a year ago. Okay. Right now, I need higher <laughs> res photos, FYI. Oh, uh, I'm too busy making wallets, man. This, yeah, <laughs> what the heck? I'm going to focus on other things. Well, it clearly is, this about page works. It does, yeah. Like uh, on the Shopify, like kind of back end where it gives you tips and stuff, it says how well it converts. And it's not like amazing, but um, it converts well. And I think it, it helps people buy into the brand too. It kind of tells that story because once you buy a wallet, once you commit, you get that history email um, sent to you where the oh, hose came from. But to get 
to that point, we kind of needed to tell that story beforehand to get people to commit. And I think that kind of story um, on the About Me page helps people, you know, get informed. You do a lot of really uh, clever stuff, great stuff with your email strategy. So you're using Klaviyo. Um, you're sending out uh, promos and newsletters, and you've got a lot of marketing automation set up. Talk to me about your your success with Klaviyo. It's been huge. <clears throat> um, I don't have my laptop in front of me. Maybe you can log in and see what um, our percentage breakdown of email is. Sure. Um, but it's in the 40%-ish of total revenue is through email, through Klaviyo. Whoa. Last time I checked it, maybe lower or higher. Um, double check that for me if you can. But yeah, um, the flow. So you set up um, some really good abandoned um, like browse abandonment flows this last year, which have been huge for us. Obviously, the cart abandoned flows are huge. I'm trying to think what other flows. So there's a there's a buy or die sequence that I love um, it that it's called a buy or die sequence. Buy or die, yeah. So Drew Sanaki from Nerd Marketer, who he was on the show uh, in December. Okay, yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Did he talk about the buy or die sequence? No, we were talking about postcard marketing. Okay, yeah. So that may have not even been his. Maybe he didn't come up with that, but he set that up. Excuse me, for me back, um, I did an, an email marketing thing with him in San Diego a few years ago, and he set that up for me. Um, but that's been huge. It's like um, just working off memory. It may be 14 to 20 um, different emails over two months, like a two-month span, that once you buy, you get bounced out of the sequence. But it's it's just like a storytelling through long-form email. Like, hey, check out this wallet, or this is where we started, or this how this is how many reviews this wallet has, or... This is some of the features and, hey, we make bags now and all different sorts of things. And once you buy, you get bounced out of that sequence. I think, I, to, I think towards the end, there's a discount ladder. To yes. You. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the, your, your email flows and sequences do some clever things. They, they're, it's one, like, coherent storyline broken up over multiple emails. And then it starts offering you a discount. And they always have... Um, to create some urgency, there's always like a limited offer there. It's very cool. I loaded up. Uh, all right, we're we're gonna reveal the the stats here for the last ninety days. Conversions from Clavio, forty eight percent, almost half of your conversions come from Clavio. That's wild. It's huge. And it's about the split. Seventeen um, percent is from automation. That's great. Thirty one percent from your email campaigns. Yeah, and a lot of that, um, obviously, Black Friday is in there. Um, yeah, do the last of, 90 days, that covers Black Friday. So, but it also includes the slow period before Black Friday. Yeah. Um, and I was sending campaigns. I try and send out a campaign once a week, but leading up to Black Friday, I was sending out like one a day. Like I hit my max. Um, Clavio only lets you send a certain amount of emails. So I hit my max right before Black Friday, and I had to upgrade like an extra $400 just to get... And you're still almost at the limit. It's got the... When I logged in, yeah. I love when I see this because I know like, that, all right, here's somebody who's really, really utilizing emails when yeah. I log in and Clavio says, you've reached 95% of your monthly sending oh limit. Oh my, yeah. I see that all the time. I Like, Clavio is huge, so I don't like, you know, balk at it too much, but... Oh, man. Yeah, I wish that limit was a little higher. Like, I mean, that's in, like, we're sending over a million emails, I don't know, per month. It's it's up there, isn't it? Like, you have it... sent 997,937 okay. yeah. of your monthly limit of yeah. 1,050,000. Okay, yeah. So right before Black Friday, I had to upgrade to, like, 1.4, 1.2 million emails just to get, like, just to make sure we could send emails up till Black Friday. 
or Christmas. Black Friday was in December. Anyway, like my my Clavio subscription like goes from the fourth to the fourth of each month. So I think Black Friday was in there. <clears throat> but do you do anything to to prune or clean your list? I haven't, and my email list um, percentages, like the open rates, are pretty low. Um, I don't know. I've found that I generate more revenue if I send to everybody, even the unengaged people. Okay. Like I, so there's a there's an engaged list um, that's about two thirds um, the size of like the all subscriber list. Actually, that's still that's still pretty good. Yeah. For a list that's been around this long. I've never pruned, pruned any of it. I've never, like, when somebody's... And for two-thirds to still be engaged. That's very yeah. good. Like, I'll get an email every now and then and be like, remove me off this freaking list. Stop emailing me. You know, I'll I prune. don't get no. those. It's like, you really, you can't just go, scroll down and click on subscribe. I get those, too. Yeah, sometimes. It's like they want you to know, like, yeah. did you just want me to know that you unsubscribed, yeah. that you want to be unsubscribed, or yeah. you really can't figure it out? It's like passive-aggressive. I'm like, hey, the link is literally, like, w- one inch below. Like, yeah. just move your thumb, dude. I think it's just passive-aggressive. because yeah. Replying to you took more effort. <laughs> right? You just got to fire back be like, dude, no. You do it yourself. <laughs> I, go, I go through, I send them a screencast. I spent about four hours there you go. Yeah. just to mess with them. No. It's worth your time. Yeah, yeah it's no, worth it's, your time. Yeah. When, you're, when I'm calculating the effective value rate on messing with email subscribers who are passive yeah. aggressive. Yeah. yeah. It's totally worth your time. Yeah. Makes you feel uh, better, doesn't it? So, all right, we've been talking for 40 minutes. I love what we've discussed. I... You know what? I, I'm going to back up. Of your, we, we talked about your success with Clavio and these amazing flows. There's two I really like um, that I think are, are worth mentioning because a lot of people could benefit from this. We were talking once, I said, because um, you sell not one wallet, but a whole bunch of different wallets. And it's not necessarily obvious which one is right for me. So I said, hey, did you ever, do you have a, like a guide, a buyer's guide on these wallets? And you said, yeah, yeah, here's this blog post. I set that up as a browse abandonment flow. Yeah. So if someone, I just took the regular browse abandonment flow on Clavio, then filtered it down to this, the wallet collection. So if you visit the wallet's collection or products and you don't make a purchase and we've got your email, and we probably do because of a welcome pop-up, um, we probably have your email already, then you get an email called, which wallet's right for me? And it's just that post and it spells out, it's like, all right, here's the buyer's guide. That thing, I remember I set that up for you. And then, like, the next day, I got a text from you, and you're like, this thing's already sold so much. Yeah. yeah that thing prints money, man. It's nuts. That, that's probably one of our, outside of the brow, or the um, cart abandonment flow, that's probably one of the best automated flows that we've done. Yeah, that was huge, man. The bag, so we, I set up um, something similar for the bag abandonment flow. Yeah, I, I see that I think that's what it's here. called. Yeah, which doesn't make as much money. I don't know if it's because the barrier to entry is a little bit higher. Well, it's interesting. That one... Makes more, uh, the, it's a higher conversions per recipient. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's the price difference is yeah. what's going on here. The wallet one, man, just, yeah, that's especially considering, like, I know you, you set that, the triggers up in the, um, the templates. And then I went in and like kind of copied and pasted the text and the pictures in there. And that was maybe an hour or two of work and <laughs> just like, and then you leave it alone. Yep. And then it just makes money, man. It's, it's, I mean, it's a great use of your time. Like that's how powerful Clavio is, man. Like, and I thought when I set that up, I thought that was triggering everybody that came to the site and that, that viewed the wallet, which that would be huge, but it's only triggering the people that come to the site and we have your email. Like if it could send emails to people that we didn't have their email, like I called Clavio, I was like, is this sending to everybody that viewed the 
the wallets and they were like, no, just if we have their email. So if you can figure out how to send out emails <laughs> to people that we don't have their email, that would be like huge. Well, and that's why you want to run pop-ups on a site. Yeah. So you have a welcome pop-up. Um, and this is worth mentioning. It's, uh, it goes, Hey, did you want a free gift with your purchase today? Click yes. And then so they click, that's like a micro op micro commitment. And they say yes. And then we ask for their email. Then they get the coupon code for the offer. So I've got your email as soon as you landed on the site. Then if they go to exit, there's an exit intent pop up. Hey, wait, do you want to save on your order? And then that requires your email too. So coming or going, hopefully we grab your email some point in there. And then plus like you do the giveaways, um, to shore up the list. So if one of those people visits the site, it'll still work. So it works really well. And I think the the other thing I really like is you do the uh, an order follow-up that explain that like has your story. So like between before my item has showed up, after I've paid for it, I get your story in my inbox and it talks about the product. And so now that's in my head. And if someone asks about my wallet, I could say, oh, it's by this guy who used to be a, a firefighter and he started buying decommissioned fire hose and recycling it. So you've got like that brand story becomes viral. Yeah. And especially you use your wallet like in social situations. Like when you pull out your wallet, you're paying for something. People are most likely around you. So you're more likely to share it. You know, Um, people see it. It's unique. Like not many people carry um, a yellow wallet. Like a lot of the fire hose is yellow. Um, So it's, it looks unique and it's like hardly anybody carries a fire hose wallet. So it tells a cool story. You know what I mean? And it'll last forever. So you have somebody that pays $29, like our cheapest wallet, um, the best seller is $29. So then you have this guy carrying it out, pulling it out five to 10 times a day for years. You know what I mean? Our tag is huge. It's on the front. You know, the URL is on the back of that tag. Um, So it's definitely like word of mouth marketing. I think half of all of our conversions come from like direct direct traffic. So people... Mm just type it in and just like a buddy tells them or they see it or they hear about it and you know in person and then just direct to the website you know that's that's like the best thing you could hope for it's amazing it is really i don't know if you realize how phenomenal this business is based on like this the story is cool um the fact that people are sharing the story and really connecting with it and that you're an instagram in the right place at the right time and your uh your email automations work so well and like you're like "Ah, i'm not really great at the numbers i'm not a numbers guy yeah Man, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. You're killing it with this thing. Yeah. So you've got... Thanks, man. Yeah, you, you really, you should, you should give yourself a, a pat on the back and be proud. <laughs> um, for the last, you've been doing this uh, a little over five years. How have things changed in the, the e-commerce universe? Like if you had to start yeah. over today in 2020 versus 2015 or earlier, you know, how... How have things changed? What would you have to do differently, do you think? I think that's such a personal question, man. I, I read a book. Um, if you ever watched Mythbusters, there's a guy called Adam Savage. I love Mythbusters. Yeah. I love Adam Savage. All right. So Adam Savage wrote a book this last year that was really good. It's called Every Tool's a Hammer. Um, and throughout the book, he just talks a lot about how making stuff in itself and making a living at making stuff is a, is a success in itself. Like... And I was just, it made me think about if I made, I have a shop, a detached garage by my house that I go out in the morning. It's a nice shop and I make stuff all day and I make a living. I provide for my kids. And I was like, would that be a success if I do this for 20 years instead of focusing on trying to grow my business into like some um, like big 
profitable. I mean, profitable would be fine, but like bigger than it needs to be. Cause with bigger numbers comes more stress. Um, and it takes away mental energy and just physical energy from your family. So reading that book, I was like, man, how cool, cool would it be if I could just goof around in the garage, make stuff, kind of fulfill that maker kind of heart that I have, like creative aspect. Um, and make good money, you know, like there's nothing wrong with making good money, but it, it not become all about growth. Like the past few years, cause as you grow, you get so focused or I have on growth. I think a lot of this, I think this, this is a common thing that happens to entrepreneurs. Yeah. The more money you have within reason in my own life, is it really worth like, like I think back to the early days when, um, I was doing everything. And it was super stressful, but we actually profited more money back then, you know, when I was making stuff. And I think there's a balance between trying to grow too fast and get too big and you're doing everything yourself. Like there's a happy medium, you know what I mean? Like um, that's fulfilling where you can quit at 5 p.m. and you can have some family time, you know what I mean? And you can take a day off. You can go to Disneyland, you know, you can do fun stuff with your family, man. And um and make good money still, but not try and make $30 million a year. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay. And that's kind of the, reading that book with Adam Savage, like, that was one of the books. There there seems to be, like, one book a year every other year that kind of hits me hard. Like, early on, it was the four-hour work week. Right. Um, last year, it was Adam Savage's book. And then this year, um, I'm reading <clears throat> a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, um, which is just, like, learn how to be quiet and take a day off kind of thing. Oh, I need to read this. Yeah. It's so good, man. I literally, it's so, I, so that I can unplug nights and weekends. I do not have a computer in my house. That's amazing. Because otherwise, like I just do not have the willpower to not go poke at it. Yeah. (laughs) And I always end up like on Monday, I'm a little stressed when I go back to work. If I don't have my laptop, and I don't have access to a computer, and I don't have my email on my phone, yeah. um, when I get, like, on Monday, like, wow, I feel great, and I'm excited to go back to work, right? Yeah. So it, it very, it's important to, to unplug and disconnect, especially when you have to do, like, creative work. Yeah. Um, it's so hard. It's so hard, You need to be able man. to step away from it and come back. Like, I have no, it's, it's go all, like, go all in type of mentality, you know? Like, so I have a hard time turning it off. Um, so that's definitely been a big, a big one. What, what I would do different, differently. Oh man. Um, I think if I started the business now, I would focus, I would try and be profitable from the beginning, like, and just have profits, your net focus on your net instead of growth. Like how much money net profit am I making, um, per order, like raise your prices if you have to. Um, and, focus on email marketing. If I had focused on email marketing at the beginning, um, my list would probably be twice as big. Um, and all those automations would be even, even bigger. Decide on what you want, like what you want to get out of your business and your life and how you want to run it. Cause you're the sole owner, you're in charge. Yeah. And have, if you have a clear vision for that and that could change and evolve over time, that will really help inform kind of some of the business decisions and how you run it and what you do. But then also be focused on be focused on, on profitability because that's going to make life easier when it's baked into the business from day one. And it sounds like you like you're a big fan of 
like the fact that you think about effective hourly rate, I often think an effective hourly rate too, so I, I appreciate this about you. It's part of optimizing your life in business. So when you're thinking like that, it's sort of thinking in like longer ROI terms. So you said, hey, like I wish I'd invested in email. Yeah, because that list pays dividends. And email automation, like you set it up and you get a good one that really works. Wow. You know, that thing just will, will print money for, for years <laughs> potentially. Yeah, I think a lot of it is learning as you go because I, I – you don't know what exactly what type of business that you're good at or what you want until you do it. It's like I didn't know I wanted a smaller kind of business that um, that I can make quick moves. You know, like I just wanted to make stuff until I started to grow and like take on more complexity. I didn't realize that I did want it smaller. You know what I mean? So a lot of the stuff you think you know and then you do it and you're like, eh, I don't know. So keeping it small, I think – um, you can make changes easily, easier, you know? But yeah, I think oh, that's absolutely. a good summary, man. Have you read uh, Company of One for I'm Paul reading Jarvis? that now. Yeah, dude, that is so good, man. Um, that sounds a lot of, sounds similar to some of the things you're talking about now. Yeah. And I think, honestly, man, um, it can be a bragging point. Like, oh, I'm growing. You know, it's like when somebody asks how you're doing, oh, I'm busy. It's like, is that good? Like, it's like, are you bragging on That busy? became a status symbol. Yeah, like, why is it cool to be busy, man? Like, I want to take a break, dude. Um, yeah, now everybody's busy. No yeah, one's like, no, okay. I'm just hanging out. Yeah, what's the quote? Busy is the new stupid. Like, okay, everybody's stupid, whatever. <laughs> um, so I don't know who said that, but probably me. Maybe I'm stupid. But we'll give the, you credit. <laughs> yeah, so the, the Company of One, um, that's another book that I'm reading now. I tend to get it like a quarter of the way through a book and then I move on. And maybe you know, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I think more people should read, but also be entirely unapologetic about like, yeah, I, I got the gist of it. Just move on. It's fine. Maybe I need to read a book on how to finish a book. I'm that, sure that exists. And please don't. <laughs> I'll quit halfway through. I did just uh, blow an audible credit on the Adam Savage book. Yeah. Oh, Cause he good, narrates man. it. It's good. Yeah. Oh, he reads the whole thing, man. It's super good. Let's wrap it up. If you had to give a single piece of advice for someone just starting out or early in their journey, their entrepreneurial journey, what would it be? I don't really have a mantra. I think stay true. Hashtag stay true. Maybe that's a good one. I don't know. That's kind of hard to say. Like, have fun, maybe. That, is that I think that lame? is important. Have fun. I think a lot of people ignore the fact that your business should be fun for you because it will make it dramatically easier. Yeah. It's if not everything's always a be chore, fun. good luck. Yeah. You need to have some fun. Like, when I'm sewing for eight hours straight and i'm going cross-eyed that's not fun but it's fun enough that i don't quit like if you can just do something and not have fun and not quit like you're a better person than i am but i need it to be fun to just keep chugging along because a business a small business especially man it's lonely dude yes. like it's my wife and i you know and you don't get a lot of thank yous it was the same at the firehouse man like you hardly ever get a thank you you know, Ooh. this guy, you drop him off at the ER or they didn't make it or it's, it's their worst day ever. You don't get a thank you. Maybe like there's a handful of times in my career that somebody would like bring a cake back to the firehouse and thank us, you know, but it's a pretty thankless kind of thing. And it's the same way with e-commerce. Like you hear the guys complaining. They're louder than the guys that say thank you. They always yes. are. You know what I mean? And those are the ones you remember. Yeah. It's like those are the ones that you, you're up at night going, oh my gosh, that guy. Um, so have fun because it, it does get lonely. Um, loneliness, um, I think can just be part of, you know, part of the business, the small business sometimes. 
Um, so learn to have fun and take some days off, man. You know, take a breather, go fishing. That's what I do now. Fishing have, helps. Have you? Yeah, it's it's good to have a hobby. For me, it's uh, flying my drone. That's oh, nice. Yeah, because yeah. it's a creative thing, yeah. and it gets me out of the house. Yeah. And like, you really can't be focused on other things when you're trying not to crash a drone into yeah. somebody's house. So <laughs> that's yeah, that's not gonna be fun. Um, the well, where could people go to learn more about you? Where could we find out about the recycled firefighter? Yeah. Um, so just recycledfirefighter.com is the main page. Um, we're on um, Amazon as well. But yeah, that's the main Shopify page, Shop of, or, um, recycledfirefighter.com. And definitely check out uh, the Recycled Firefighter Instagram, at Recycled Firefighter. And I have linked to uh, those things in the show notes. So tap or swipe up on the show art to get to those. Uh, and I've also got the, we mentioned several books and uh, a great photo editing app that Jake and I both use. So grab those show notes. Jake, this has been fabulous. I am so glad you stopped by. Yeah, it was fun, man. Thanks for having me. Big news from our friends at Out of the Sandbox this month. Their newest theme just launched. It's called Flux. And it's for those of us who loved all the bells and whistles in Turbo, but thought, I need more of this. That's where Flex is a game changer for you. It can be configured in an endless number of ways, thanks to more layout and section options than ever, more granular control of settings, and easy addition of custom CSS through the theme editor. It's perfect for development agencies like ourselves, as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs like you looking to create a unique online store experience for your customers. Now here's the coolest part. Flex has a new Demo Shop Import feature that allows you to fast-track your shop setup based on any of 12 demo shops. You get all of the theme settings, layouts, content, and sections used in that demo shop of your choice applied automatically to your store. You can check Flex out right now at outofthesandbox.com. And if you like it, take 20% off the purchase price when you use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's outofthesandbox.com and code PODCAST20. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.